Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. Uh, my name is Chad Almy. I'm on our admin team here at Stonebridge, and I'll occasionally preach to give David a, a much-deserved and needed break. Uh, let, me, let me pray real quick before we get started. Father God, thank you for today, for this morning, for this place, for this community. Lord, this is your word. Come. Minimize me. Maximize you. Give us ears to hear, soft hearts to receive. Speak to each of us in our situation today. We love you, Lord. Amen. Um, that was a, that's a great morning. Man, you get a baby dedication. Going to have a baptism, sending our kids to go do mission work. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, we, I think sometimes we take for granted being here, how vibrant our community is, how alive our church is, how healthy it is, but that's a blessing, and we shouldn't take it for granted. Um, I'm kind of overwhelmed by it this morning. So, um, so David, uh, when, he, when he asked if I would uh, teach today, he said, you know, we're going to be in Mark, uh, don't feel beholden to where we're going to kind of time up, and we talked about three months ago, so it's hard to tell. So he said, just look in Mark and uh, kind of see what, what you think you'd like to teach on. So I started thinking about it and praying about it and kind of digging around in Mark a little bit, and uh, I, I was trying to think, you know, what would make the most sense for me to preach on instead of David, right? We're constructed differently, uh, mostly he has strengths and I have weaknesses. Um, <laughs> but, but I woke up one morning and I thought, rich young ruler, right? Mark 10, money. Because as evidenced probably by the careers we chose, money probably plays a more primary and, and unhealthy place in my life than in his, right? David chose to be a pastor, and unless uh, his judgment isn't as good as, as I think that it is, it probably wasn't for the money. Um, and, uh, and I chose to be a, a corporate lawyer, and uh, it wasn't because when I was eight years old, I dreamed of sitting at my desk and reviewing documents and drafting contracts, right? I, uh, I wasn't even the kid who, when I was home from school and you get to, you know, you're sick, you get to watch the good TV that you never see. I didn't watch the Matlock episodes after Little House on the Prairie. I did watch Little House on the Prairie, but, um, but I didn't watch Matlock and dream of being a trial lawyer and doing justice. It, it, it really didn't cross my mind. No, when it was 11 o'clock, I watched Price is Right, and uh, I dreamed of winning a car and jet skis uh, and maybe, maybe the furniture set, not, not quite as much, but... Um, you know, you guys laugh, uh, and, and, and I'm glad because I'm, I'm hoping to poke fun at myself and use myself as an example today a bunch. But, you know, it's not lost on me. I know a lot of y'all, and I'm not speaking to a group of, of cowboys and astronauts today. I, I, I don't know that everyone followed their hearts and the desires that God put on their hearts when they chose their careers, right? I think a lot of us probably chose our careers uh, somewhat like Advice I actually got on dating um, from, from a partner that I worked for uh, when I was still in law school. So I, I went up summer after my second year of law school to Nashville to work for a firm. And this older partner, really established, he was in his 60s. He'd, he'd been practicing law since the 1960s. Uh, we went to lunch early on. 
and uh, didn't know each other at all. And I said, you know, I asked the question pretty early in the lunch that I felt like was a good question to, to show that I cared and hopefully make him like me. And I said, you know, what, what advice can you give me practice in law and about this summer? And, uh, and he said, well, practice in law can be tough, so I'm going to give you some advice that my diddy gave me. And he was, a, he was a refined southern gentleman, right, from the right side of the tracks, Bellmead, Nashville, right? So he had a diddy, not a daddy or a dad like I had growing up in Cobb County. And so he said his, his diddy, his diddy said, uh, don't marry for money, just date rich girls till you fall in love, right? <laughs> he said, the practice of law is tough, and you, if you can avoid it, I would suggest it. So that was the... That was the advice. Unfortunately for me, I was about a month away from, from marrying my wife, A.B., and I had already uh, decided to marry for love and not for money, and so I've been practicing law ever since. Uh, <laughs> but I think a lot of us choose our careers that way, right? We don't kind of pray a lot when we're trying to figure out what to do about what the desires God's put on our heart. We kind of think about what are the jobs in the, in the category above the threshold of money that we think is okay to make that will give us the, the lifestyle we want? And then we, we choose one kind of in that, that narrow category. That uh, is, is, is definitely how I chose my job, and, and it is probably a good indication as to why I struggle with money as being too important and of why this passage in Mark 10, the rich young ruler, is so challenging to me. So let's uh, jump in, and we are in Mark 10, starting in verse 17, and we're just going to kind of go through slowly. I'll pause some and talk about what's going on, and, and we'll, we'll get through it here together. So verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus, on his way, he's on his way up to Jerusalem in the the closing days of his life. So we'll see in the next chapter, it's Palm Sunday, and it's the last week of Jesus' life. But he's making his way there. So uh, Jesus says, at this point, right, we're jumping fast forward, obviously, from where we've been in Mark. But he's starting to turn more to the eternal, starting to turn more to kind of the end, to talk about heaven and those things. And this man, and, and right, we all think of this passage as the rich young ruler. That's how we've all heard about it. We only hear in Mark 10 that he's rich. Uh, we actually get from companion uh, passages that describe the exact same interaction in Matthew 19 and Luke 18. That's where we learn that he's young and that he's a ruler. But we're very confident, and you can go and look at all three. It's, it's the same event, obviously, just like you would in an eyewitness account. They emphasize different aspects of it. So we see him just as a man in this passage, but we also know that he's young and a ruler, and, and we'll certainly find out in a second that he's rich. So he goes and, and falls on his knees, right, act of humility, and asks the question of all questions, right? How, how do I have eternal life? How do, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus starts out in, in kind of a confusing way. We might think it's, it's a non sequitur. It's not relevant at first, but, but it actually ends up being a powerful way to respond. He says, 
Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, I, I don't want us to get confused about what Jesus is saying here. And I've read a ton of commentaries, listened to a bunch of sermons on this chapter because it is so challenging and uh, there are parts that are difficult. Uh, but I think most commentators would agree Jesus isn't saying here that he himself is not good, nor is he making a comment about his divinity. Jesus is trying to, to point the man, the rich young ruler, away from his current conception of salvation, which, as many Jews at the time struggled with, was all based on being good, right? Obeying the law was it. That's how Jews understood being righteous, being in good relationship with God, being saved. And so Jesus is saying, only God's good, right? That's the point he's making to him. Only God is good. And then he goes and, and he plays on this understanding that the young man as a devout Jew would have had of obeying the law. And so he lists some of the commandments and some of the offshoots of the commandments and, and, and says, you know the commandments, right? And so then the man responds, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So this is where Jesus really lays it on him, right, where he really flips the young man's understanding of salvation on its head. And, and that, right, this is one of the places that we get our understanding of salvation from. It's surrender. Jesus doesn't require us to be good. He doesn't require us to obey the law in order to have salvation, in order to get to heaven and be in a relationship with him. He's just said, no one's good. None of us are good. We're all going to break the law. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to do selfish and bad things. But we do have to surrender to him. And Jesus recognized that with this young man, his riches were an obstacle to a true relationship with Jesus. And so he says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything. Right When, when the young man said that He'd obeyed all the commandments. Said Jesus' initial response, his internal, right? His internal was that he loved him. That's what scripture tells us. Jesus loved the man. And there's some commentaries that sort of try to make that very general and just say, well, you know, Jesus loves all of us in spite of our sin. And, and that's true, right? But I don't think it makes a lot of sense to, to go out of the way to to point out that Jesus' response was to love him. I think that it exhibits an earnestness that the young man had. I, th I think he was really asking the question, and I think that Jesus saw in his heart that he tries to obey these commandments and perhaps has obeyed these commandments. 
but he still is short because he hasn't surrendered. Money is getting in the way. All right, and so the, the, the man's not ready to do it. He can't do it. So he goes away and is sad because he's not willing to give up his riches. So we'll keep going in, in, in verse 24. The disciples were amazed at Jesus' words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So this one is a, is a gut punch, right? Especially for all of us who live in an affluent community and the richest country in the history of the world. And, you know, that there are three categories, I would say, that you could group the way biblical scholars interpret this. The first category I think we need to reject, and that's to try to diminish or explain away what Jesus is saying. So you may have heard this. You may, you, you may hear this. You may have read commentaries or even heard sermons that say, well... Jesus wasn't really talking about an actual camel or an actual eye of a needle. And it was, you know, either misunderstood based on the words and then camel uh, was, was close to rope and we just mistranslated or, or eye of a needle was referring to uh, this place in the wall around Jerusalem that was real narrow, kind of like a window and a camel can maybe squeeze through there if he tried really hard. And, and, and the implication of that teaching would be, well, it, it's difficult, but if we hold our money close, our wealth, but you know, kind of give the right way and twist ourselves so that we can kind of fit into the right category of rich person, then we'll be okay. I, I think that's wrong. I think it, it, it isn't the plain reading of the text. I read a lot of how doesn't really make sense. It wasn't mistranslated. There's no archaeological evidence that any such place in, in the wall around Jerusalem existed. Uh, and, and I think it, it goes against our, our, our senses, our, our plain reading of the language. I would put the second category of interpretation of this passage, right? Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God that we're really talking about sin generally, not money specifically, and that all sin separates us from God, pulls us out of relationship with God, and, and can uh, threaten our salvation, therefore, and that there's really nothing special about money, and so we don't need to be overly concerned about money over any other sin. And while there's, there's truth to a lot of what is said there, Again, I don't think it gets it all the way. Why then would Mark say it's harder for a rich man? He didn't say a sinner. He said a rich man. And then we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus teaching, being concerned about wealth and what we do with it. He calls us to take care of, of the orphans and the widows and others who are disadvantaged. He talks about materialism as uh, the ultimate sort of uh, thief of, of, of God's love, that mammon, the love of money, 
We can't serve two masters, right? It's, it's sort of God's primary competitor in our heart. So I do think there's something that we have to lean into here specifically about money. And I think the plain reading of this is Jesus is saying it's impossible, right? A camel can't go through the eye of a needle. I, I listened to a Tim Keller sermon recently and was kind of talking through a lot of this stuff with our small group. Uh, and, and he said, it's the modern day equivalent of a snowball's chance in hell, right? Which is zero. A camel can't go through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. But it's not the end of the passage, thankfully. So let's keep going. Verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So the disciples had an interesting reaction. You know, they clearly see this young man as a godly man, as earnest, as someone that they're thinking, golly, if he can't get into heaven, who can? Because they also misunderstood what salvation is about. That it wasn't about being good, doing all the right things, checking all the boxes, following what became in the tradition of the rabbis, the hundreds of rules that they had to follow. They missed it too. And that it's really about surrender. And good news for us, even if it's impossible without God for our hearts to turn to him when there's money involved. It is possible with God. And that gives us hope. But I don't want it to diminish the severity of the verses before it. That is a real warning of caution to us that if we're not treating money and how we behave with it and use it and act towards it carefully, Nothing can tempt us and pull us away from right relationship with God like money. All right, let's finish out the passage, and then I want to dig into that a little more. So verse 28, Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are the first will be last, and the last first. So I, I like this closing to this passage because it reminds us that these disciples really did give up everything. There were people who gave up everything to follow Jesus. And think about the impact they had, right? They changed the world. 12 guys, because they were willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus talks about how they're gonna be rewarded for it, but they're also gonna be persecuted for it. And then he closes this teaching that he gives with, but many who are first will be last, and the last first, right? Clearly echoes back to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and other places where Jesus talks about the primacy in his kingdom of those who are poor here on earth and how hard again it is to be first here on earth and be in his kingdom. So, all right. Why money? Why is money 
so much harder than everything else. And, and I thought about this so much and prayed about it so much, and I, I recognize that in my heart that is true. And I think ultimately it's because nothing else can essentially make us God-like, not godly, not the things that we want to be, the fruits of the Spirit, not imitating the right attributes of God, but making us God-like, in other words, replacing ourselves in the place of God, because money gives us anything in this world. It's the ultimate currency, the ultimate power. You can create worlds here if you have enough money. You can change people's destinies, their outcomes if you have money. You can essentially be bulletproof, right, and do anything you want and suffer no consequences, no earthly consequences, at least. If you have money, you can have as much fun as you want, anything you think of, you can have, right, money promises everything, but I think most seductively, it promises that we don't need God, we can be our own gods, we don't have to rely on him or anything, anyone else for anything, we can be everything, we can do anything, and we can replace God. And that, I think, is why money is so uniquely destructive amongst sins that Jesus mentions it in this way. Right? It can give us security so that we're not worried about a recession or having a bad outcome at work. We know we can take care of ourselves, right? It tells us how important we are. It's status, especially in our community here in Marietta. Right? Some, some of us use it for therapy. We buy things to feel better, to fill the hole in us where we're not fully fulfilled. We're not at peace. We don't have joy. It can give us purpose, right, to set off on a career path to get to a certain number, to get to a certain level of independence. We talked about fun, right? The new cars and the jet skis. Ultimately, it's to beat your chest and say, I did this. It's me. I am good. Right? And all those things we're supposed to get from God. Security, peace, Therapy when we need it, when we have restless and anxious hearts, right? God tells us in Matthew and Luke, the birds of the field, he feeds them, he takes care of them daily, but we're so much more important to them. Why do we worry so much about being taken care of? Our fulfillment, our purpose, all of it should be in God, but money Money entices us away from him and says, no, come to me. I'll exalt you. I have to, have to, have to share here uh, a sermon that Kenny Grant gave to us uh, at Men's Retreat, for those of you who were here. And he talked about a turtle on a fence post. He said, consider the turtle on the fence post. Right? Turtle didn't crawl his way up there. He didn't 
parachute down in. If you walk by and you see a turtle on a fence post, you can be sure of one thing. Somebody put that turtle there. However highly you've ascended, however much money you've made, however much you've accomplished, however much you think you can beat your chest and say, I did this, you didn't. God did. Whatever abilities you have, if you're good at selling things, if you're a great strategic thinker, if you're really smart, if you're good looking, if you're charismatic, if you're funny, whatever it is that allows you to make money and be important, God gave you those things. And don't think, well, yeah, but I I worked really hard. Yeah, well, how'd you learn to work hard? Because you had parents, perhaps, friends, mentors who showed you that? because you went to schools that taught you that, you didn't do that. You didn't create the desire in yourself to work hard. God put you in those situations. God put you there. God put you on that fence post. Turtle on a fence post. That's good. I think, honestly, that's probably why I chose Mark 10, is I wanted to share that turtle on a fence post. (laughs) From that sermon, it was so good. I see Tim in the audience, and... Tim, we were in the same small group at the retreat, and he said, I'm going to get T-shirts made that just said, just a turtle on a fence post, man. I, I think about it all the time. It's so good. And it's helpful, right? It's helpful to this and to our hearts to remember that. What else might be helpful? Well, let's go ahead a couple chapters to Mark 12. And let's look at... Verse 41, another passage y'all are probably familiar with. So Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. More into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So that one, another gut punch, I think. I think the most important part of this, right, in addition, Jesus says more, more. It doesn't make any sense. Does Jesus not know how to add or what more means? Clearly, the rich people who gave in lots of money gave more money. But in God's economy, the widow gave more. Why? Because they gave out of their wealth They gave out of their surplus. They gave out of what they had left. And she sacrificed. She gave everything, all she had. She gave more in God's economy. So what do I do? Right? 
It says in verse 44, they all gave out of their wealth, out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in everything. Everything. So how do I think about this when I think about it, which is not often because I get discouraged by how little I live this out. I think I think everything after the mortgage and the car payments and utilities and food, you got to eat, right? Everything after that. But then, you know, I need a break to my day, so I need to <clears throat> go eat lunch out. And I'm not a coffee guy. I know a lot of people are. You need your Starbucks every day. And we got to take a vacation every summer. Kids have to go to Disney World. They need that experience. And then there's spring break. Well, kids can't be the only ones who don't go on a trip for spring break. And then winter break and fall break. It's brutal what Marietta City Schools do to us with the schedule. But, <laughs> right, all these things that we think we have to do. We, don't even, we would never think about giving instead of those things. Our 401K, our life insurance policies. Just think in your head, what are your things that are sacred, that are off limits, that come first? All she had to live on is what Jesus says. That sounds a lot like what he said in chapter 10 of sell everything. So what does it mean? What, what, what do we do with it? Does it mean we should all leave here and sell everything and give it to the poor? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I think it's possible. I think it probably is a lot closer to that than what most of us are doing by just giving what's left over, giving out of the surplus. We see right here, that's not it. It's not giving out of our wealth. It's not giving out of our surplus. So what do we do? Because I, I don't know that any of us are going to leave here and sell everything. But I also don't want us to leave here and forget about it because it's too hard to consider, which is what I've done. And I, I do want to make the distinction before we jump into the next part. I'm not talking about salvation, right? I, I think Mark 10 is clear that in terms of our salvation, thank God, praise Jesus, he makes the impossible possible. But that doesn't discount what Jesus is asking us to do with our money, what he says is best, what he says is more. And if we're in relationship with him, and if we're seeking him, and we've got to square it, or try to. So what do we do? I've got some, some practical things maybe for you to consider. One is pray. Right? Wrestle with these passages. Fight them. Fight with God over them. Agonize. Just don't dismiss them. Go to him and see what he says. Talk to people you respect and trust. Talk in your small groups. Talk to spiritual mentors. Talk to our ministry staff. 
clear, right, that we have to give sacrificially. It can't just be out of our surplus. It has to be sacrificial. We have to feel it. Sacrifice meaning in place of something else, right? And, and we can smart, start small. I love David's encouragement to us always. You don't have to go all the way there, right? Like he says with fasting, do one day a week, do one meal a week, right? So we can start small here too. What are ways? Well, what, let's say you take a work break and eat X number of meals out a week, right? Lunches out a week. Take one or two of them away and find somewhere to give that money to help the poor. Your Starbucks, your favorite streaming service, or one of your favorite streaming services, right? Just pick something that you're going to feel that's a sacrifice and use that money and give it to the poor. Gifts, birthday, Christmas, right? Say, I don't want gifts this year, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Let's figure out somewhere to give it to the poor. Vacation, not go on vacation, one of those breaks, give that money. I've got two examples of, of, of what guys I know and love have done. Uh, one guy who I won't name because I didn't ask him, uh, and some of y'all would know him. He, we were wrestling with this stuff starting about a year, year and a half ago, and he's done really well, really successful in his career, made a lot of money. And uh, he and his wife buy new cars every four years, kind of clockwork, buy a new car every four years and pay cash. He doesn't need to finance anymore, and they buy nice cars, right? So he said it's time for him to get a new car. I think it was actually time for his wife to get a new car. Um, because his car was two years old. He said, nope, you start driving my car, I'll take your car, and I'll drive your car for four more years. $60,000, right? Incremental, would have gone into the car, would have gone, been gone mostly, right, with the way that the prices of cars degrade over time. $60,000, I'll drive the car an extra four years, and I'm gonna give $60,000 away, right? Sacrifice, you feel that. It's one way, he already gives away a lot of money, he, he does. But it's out of surplus, right? That was a way for him to try to give sacrificially. Or, or how can you use assets that you have now and give them away, right? So that almost they become more of a burden than a benefit. I think uh, y'all know Jimmy Drew's uh, beach house that he had in St. Simon's, right? He for sure gave that thing to all of us way more than he used it himself, right? And uh, always took care of everything, right? That's a way to sacrifice so that something that's a blessing to you is actually way more of a blessing to, to others. These are small steps. And I, I don't want to diminish the power of what this is saying. I don't think any of those are sufficient. But they're a start, right? They're a start. They're a way that we can start thinking about it and start trying to do it and live it out. Uh, one more. I think we need to make sure we're in community where there is need. Right? It, 
if we just write a check to something that we really don't know anything about, have any interaction with, that's good. That's, that's something. But I think we're going to see need a lot more frequently in a way that will help us practice this and do it if we're in community where there's need. And, and I'll give an example. Um, and then there, there are some great organizations where a lot of you are doing this now. But I'll give an example of, of where I saw this starkly. So beginning of COVID, if y'all remember, the market tanked, right? No one knew what was going to happen. No one knew what the government response was going to end up being. Everyone was scared. Everyone assumed we're going into a crazy recession, maybe a depression. There's going to be blood on the streets. And so we, y'all who have been here a couple years may remember, we started a fund for folks who were going to have economic need because of COVID and because of what it was going to do to the economy. And we raised tens of thousands of dollars and ask members, right, folks who consider this their church home, you guys, if you had need to let us know. We talked about it every week for months and really literally almost didn't give away a penny, right, because no one had need in our community. And we ended up being able to give it away to some great organizations that I'll talk about in a second, but in our community, there really wasn't any place to give it because no one had need. Contrast that with same time period, beginning of COVID, world shuts down. There is pain, because it was a while before the government stepped in. Marietta City Schools rolled out dozens of buses every week to give meals to families of the kids who are in our community, our city, who maybe weren't going to be able to eat during that time, the food uncertainty was so great. And they also put up routers and set them all up so that the kids could have Wi-Fi, so that they could attend school virtually, right? Where probably a lot of our kids were, had that fastest speed internet. We were probably getting virtual tutors and doing all this stuff to make sure they're okay, right? Meredith school, City Schools did this, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars like that because they were where the need was, right? That will help too if we're where the need is and we're in relationship with it, with people who have it, it'll help us to do this better. And we have some great organizations here that you can get involved with. So Dwell, our apartment ministry off Franklin Gateway, Table on Delk, our ministry that helps women get back on their feet. Marietta City Schools has a program, Marietta Mentorship for Leadership. You know, we're a Title I district. Majority of the kids in our district qualify for free and reduced lunch. Maybe not in the elementary school that we're zoned for here in this church, but all the other ones. Act 6, y'all know about our partnership with Park Street, one of the elementary schools that has a lot of need. I think we gotta do it. You gotta get involved, and many of you are. And, and you know, that's amazing. But a, a lot of us aren't or aren't as involved as we should be. All right, I'm, I'm gonna close, and then we'll do response time with 
a picture that was really helpful from that Tim Keller sermon. And it's a great sermon. It's called Camels and Money. I th- as far as I can tell, it was released last summer, but there was a reference in it to a Palm Pilot, which didn't make sense being released last summer. So <laughs> it may be older than that, but it's called Camels and Money, Tim Keller. I commend that to you. But in it, he, he talks about, right, his congregation is like ours in New York City, but is like ours in being affluent. And he gave this picture to help as another way for us to think about it. And he said, the more money you make, the bigger, the bigger the delta or the difference should be in the life that you could live and the life that you do live. So the more money you make, there should be a bigger gap in the life that you could live if you spent all your money on yourself and the life that you actually live. And then the, the, the less money that you make, right, the smaller that gap's going to be because you can give sacrificially quickly, right? So how do we respond? Uh, a couple, three things to think about, and Bo can start coming up. When we go into ministry time after I pray and Bo starts to play, we're going to have ministry teams up here. The altar's open for you to come and pray by yourself if you want. But three things to think about. One, if you're convicted that you give mostly out of surplus and not out of sacrifice, come. Come up front. Get prayer. It could be the first step to God blessing you in ways you can't imagine. I'm hoping to make that step. And I think it's clear that if we do that, our relationship with him will grow and we'll be blessed in ways we can't imagine. Jesus isn't doing this. He's not asking this to be a taskmaster. He's doing this because he loves us. He's asking us to do this because he wants what's best for us. And he knows money separates us from him. Second, there is certainly financial need in the room, right? It may not be the majority, but, and, and there's probably more coming, right? What's going on with the economy right now? We probably are going into a recession right now. There probably isn't going to be as much of a government response. There probably is going to be pain. People are going to lose their jobs. Things are going to get really tight. When you find yourself on that end of it, money can still separate you from God, right? If you're trusting yourself to try to make it better, make it up, now do what he tells us, right? Lay our burden on him. My favorite name for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh. Right? The Lord provides. He's the giver of all good things. If you have financial need, come ask. And for those of us who don't, right? God, David says God speaks to the body, through the body. He also acts to the body, through the body. We are his hands and his feet. And so, you know, if, if we were more honest about it, he'd also give the rest of us an opportunity to give when, when we can through sacrifice. And then finally, if you're just confused, all this has you spinning, it's a lot. It's hard to consider and wrestle with. And you just want to come for wisdom and come. All right, let me pray. Father God, thank you for this morning.
for our blessings, for the fact that you are responsible for everything, for all of it, for everything that we have. Lord, help us to be faithful. I know I'm so, 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 so far from where you've called me. Many of us are. Help us, Lord, help us, engage us, meet us, guide us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity to be a part of your kingdom coming here to earth. Use us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 